Thank you for tuning in to the Practical Preservation Podcast. Please take a moment to visit our website, practicalpreservationservices.com, for additional information and tips to help you restore your historical home. If you've not done so, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and also like us on Facebook. Welcome to the Practical Preservation Podcast, hosted by Danielle and Jonathan Kepperling. Kepperling Preservation Services is a family-owned business based in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, dedicated to the preservation of our built architectural history for today's use as well as future generations. Our weekly podcast provides you with expert advice specific to the unique needs of renovating a historic home, educating by sharing our from-the-trenches preservation knowledge and our guests' expertise, balancing modern needs while maintaining the historical significance, character, and beauty of your period home. Today on the Practical Preservation Podcast, I have Nick Enough with me. He's the head of content for Arclight Media and also the head writer for the Hometown History Podcast. Um, Thank you for joining me today. Yeah, this is fun. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. So tell me about your background. Background is in research, specifically theological research. And a fair amount of the work I've done before this has been in that field. So the true crime, history, suspense slash horror word cluster has been sort of new to me over the last few years, but I've really enjoyed it. And I think we're doing some really great things. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, that's that's a, um, an interesting, but I would think research of anything, any type of research can be applied to other, other you know, other research um, endeavors. Uh, but that that is an interesting reach to to go from from theological research into into at least the true crime. The history fits, but I don't know about the true crime. <laughs> so, so sure, yeah. I think it does. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So so tell me um, tell me uh, what drew you into history and and into even the true crime because that that is historical too. Sure. Well, I think the ability. History uh, provides so many opportunities to learn uh, from the past and about who you are today and helps us, if we're paying attention, avoid some of the mistakes that we're getting ready to make. Mm -hmm. I think that history is sort of a test case for how perspectival life can be. Uh, With history, you have a chance to step back and kind of empty your pockets as to all your assumptions and the things that you, uh, your assumptions, your values, everything else that you don't always have the same margin for in real time. Yeah, I agree with that. Sure. So you learn about the person across from you as you're doing history together and you converse with thinkers from the past And that's really what history is, is it's a conversation between you and those events or those people and other people sitting down alongside you trying to figure it out. And one thing I've always really valued is dialogue, which is, um, I mean, all of the humanities are uh, a form of dialogue, you know, especially, but but for whatever reason, history uh, has always appealed to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that 
Um, I agree with that. And I also, I also think more that more that I research and the more that I study, um, the more I realize that people are the same, whether it was 200 years ago or now, um, <laughs> or, or even either, even further, further along the, the things that motivate us and, and, and the way people react is, is the same. Um, I was there, I was doing research on, um, in, in reading the classified section of the colonial newspaper in our area. And, you know, it was, it was, it was like, uh, I forget runaway slaves, uh, rogue apprentices and something wives and the wives were running away too, which made me giggle. But, um, they, um, they, they, you know, it was like their Facebook. They would just go down to the newspaper office, put whatever issue they were having with the person in the paper, and then everybody could read it. So I was like, I was like, this is, yeah, this is what we do now. It's just a little more instant. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. I think we have this sense today that people are meaner and more aggressive and cowardly when they engage on platforms like those uh, afforded by social media. But really, we just people would have been just as, as malicious back in the good old days and just as predatory. And, and they were, you know, often in real life, there's a sense in which people can let off steam uh, in those settings that, that would have had more sinister uh, expression, I think, in, in earlier centuries. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So, so tell me about, um, about home, the Hometown History Podcast. Sure. Yeah, it's to be honest with you, it's more or less what we find what we find to be interesting, and all, almost all of it comes recommended. People will tell us what they want to hear about, and we we have those conversations with them. We'll research and we'll tell a story that hopefully um, meets their expectations. And there may be some times where people will come with a subject and will end up doing something different than maybe they would have expected, which is, is fun. And that's a part of the value of history. Uh, I think uh, for, for one example, someone came to us with a story of a uh, Yugoslavian partisan named uh, Lipa Radich. I mean, I'm, I, I may be butchering her last name, but long story short, she was fighting the fascists and, and during the Second World War ended up being executed. Before she's executed, she stands with her neck in the noose and says, you know, death to all fascists. My comrades will avenge me more or less and all the evildoers will be killed to the last man. And it's this really brave, heroic moment. And I think the idea behind the suggestion was really to glorify that. And in one sense it should be because it's unbelievably brave. Mm -hmm. uh, what what she did staring down death in that way but the after uh the or epilogue of that whole scene is that in the years that followed following the defeat of the nazis during the second war nazi sympathizers were rounded up as families and thrown down mine shafts oh my goodness italian families were slaughtered in the hundreds and then the thousands in retaliation for crimes like the one committed against Lipa. And so when Lipa stands there with her neck in a noose and says, you'll be wiped out to the last man, it sounds, it sounds good. It's, it's right. poetic, but it's just a revival of the same old violence. Mm -hmm. And the, the cycle, the, it's a cycle. Yeah. 
her comrades end up not being the good guys at all. They end up just being uh, the Nazis on the other side of the aisle. So there's there's little ways that you can tweak stories like that that I think are compelling and keep it fresh. Yeah, 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 definitely. So, do you um, do people submit stories to you? Then I guess when you say it comes recommended, do people do listeners send you things, or is it is that usually how they come recommended or? It's a combination. So one of the things we'll be doing in a couple months here is a trip that uh, we took through the Upper Peninsula. That was just something that happened accidentally. We, we get up there and we realize this place is strange and few people probably have been up here. So let's do a series. Mm-hmm. So totally unprompted in that case. Other cases, people will um, make requests. So we just want to do things that people learn from and like. We don't have uh, we, we, we do have an agenda, mm-hmm. I will say. And, you know, you heard part of it there just, um, in that example, but really we want to connect with our audience. It's not about standing up on a soapbox and saying things that we feel like saying. So we have values and, and like I said, an agenda that we want to promote, but we're not looking to control the conversation or dictate its terms or anything else. We want to meet people where their interests are. Yeah, that that makes that 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 seems like a way to to create compelling content um, that that can tell a story and 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 teach something also. Um, and I guess that kind of leads me into my my next question: What, in your opinion, makes a good story for for inclusion on on the podcast? Yes, yeah, so our tagline is is something like uh, forgotten stories and and overlooked histories. And sometimes the thing that can be overlooked is just the meaning of that story. So if we can tell, tell an interesting, uh, a conventional story in an interesting way that opens people's eyes to some new a- aspect of, of what we view to be truth, then, then we'll take that opportunity. You know, one of, the, one of the general rules of thumb in creative development is if you have an ordinary story, you need to tell it in an extraordinary way. If you have a really unusual, bizarre story, then you can let that reality carry the narrative and tell it in a very simple way. So it, the way we approach things varies between um, uh, those two uh, approaches. So Tiger King, you can just tell that story because it's going to blow people's doors right. off. Yeah, it was right? crazy. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you, if you have a very ordinary story that people have heard a hundred times, then you need a new spin or a new angle or you need to pass on it. Right. So it's it's really a judgment call in each case. And uh, but really, I would say one of the things that's important for us, I think, in communicating consistency uh, consistently is, is nuance, is a reminder that the headline is not always the story, that what you think, you know, at the outset may not be true at all. We live in an age where everyone has a very strong opinion about just about everything and they feel the need or even an obligation to foist it on the rest of the world at every opportunity. And usually we're talking about stuff we don't understand. And one of the things we want to encourage is just to take a step back, look at the person across from you, the person you think you know, the history that you think you know, just hold off the judgment for a second hold off the vitriol, you know, there's uh, set aside the catharsis of having an enemy for a little bit <laughs> right? and just deal, you know, let's, 
have this conversation together. So stories that help us do that are appealing. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I agree. Cause I, you know, back to my people are all the same kind of theory that I have. I also believe that even if you have opposing views with somebody, you probably have more in common than you realize. And, and, and you don't always, and, and, and you don't look past your differences to figure that out. Yeah, I agree. And really, you know, there's a rule in improv, it's called uh, yes and. So when someone else starts to say something, you don't reinvent their, uh, I don't know what you call it, theatrical reality. Right. You say yes, and then I'm going to do this within that space. Okay, we're in an airport, and I'm going to be the guy that lost his luggage or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. And we really, that's a good guiding principle in so much of life. You know, find the, find the even if it's 5% that you agree with, and start there. Right. Um, you don't need to flex. You don't need to to prove that you know more. Um, begin with the space you're both standing in, and see how long you can stay there while remaining true to your conscience and your convictions. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, so um, share with me some of the interesting or surprising stories that you you have uncovered or or, or retold. Oh boy, uh, there have been at this point so many. Yeah. One that I'm looking forward, it was the second episode, it was before I came on, that I'm looking forward to retelling in a longer form is that of John Hubbard, who was a local serial killer in Wabash, Indiana. Uh, it's, I believe Abraham Lincoln sent a lawyer to defend him because no one else wanted to. He ends up being hung on the courthouse steps and this was 18, boy, 50s or 60s, I'm not sure, but yeah. we actually I think it would have to given... be in the 60s, because if it was Abraham Lincoln, unless it was just him as a lawyer, yeah. And that's what I'm not sure of. I've got two local historians who are going to tell me this story, and with COVID, they're both older. Oh, yeah, COVID that's been And hard. with everything yeah. else, we've got to get them in the studio. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, it may have been when he was a lawyer, I'm not sure. Um, but it's, it's, uh, we now have his, the local museum offered us his skeleton, which is now on a set of shelves in our office. Oh goodness. Yeah. So very, very unusual situation there that you'd never expect to run into. Um, but yeah, we, we, we've covered everything from, you know, different islands in the Midwest to architectural feats to, we've done some, a fair amount of traveling together and interviewed curators and directors of local museums, especially in the South. I, uh, I wouldn't know where to start. Yeah, no, that, I think that's really interesting. The yeah, the, um, when you said about the, the skeleton now being, being in your office, um, that, that was something interesting that I learned from a, a capital murder case in our area that the, the, after he was executed, his mother guarded his grave because it was, that was the only bodies that you could dissect. So the medical students would come out and try to steal who, the, the murderer's bodies. Um, so her, his mother stayed at his grave, you know, nights to, to protect the grave. So when you said that, it made me think, oh yeah, I'm sure that's what was going on there. That that's the reason they have the skeleton is because that he was used for medical science. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I believe that was part of it so the top of his head is removed 
mm-hmm. in order to, I've heard, look at his brain, which Probably. makes yeah. some sense. But yeah, the whole grave digging thing was a, was just a massive black market industry yeah. back then. And what they would do in some cases, excuse me, is pour concrete or things like that in order to, and they still do this in certain parts of the world they where yeah. bones are used for witchcraft or whatever else. They'll they'll encase them in, in concrete. Yeah, most, um, and, that problem. And that's, yeah, that's actually interesting because most of the cemeteries in our area, there's only one that doesn't require you to put a concrete slab above the, above the, um, the coffin. Um, yeah. And, but I think that's actually more for, for lawn maintenance. So as the coffin collapses in the dirt doesn't go in and then make the ground uneven. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, that's, that's interesting. That's interesting that it's in other parts of the world too. Sure. Yeah. So, um, what, so, what, uh, oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to ask you before we jumped on here, you were describing some of the work you do with with uh, um, antique buildings, classic buildings, uh, preserving what you call built history. Yes, yeah. Am I remembering that right? So one of the questions that I have is how, what your priorities are beyond the preservation of the buildings themselves? What kind of ideas drive you guys what are the types of buildings that really get you kind of fired up and, and, and re-impassioned with what you do? Where's the intersection between like architectural preservation and the broader discipline of history for, for your team specifically? How do you navigate that? Um, we, I, I, I personally um, love like arts and crafts style buildings. Uh, we don't have a lot of those in this area. And I do, I have a, I have a soft place in my heart for mid-century modern. Um, just, and I think a lot of that has to do with my, my childhood in Colorado. And that's what the buildings were there. Um, Cause we didn't have a lot of older buildings, but then when we moved, when we moved to Pennsylvania, we deal with a lot of like more colonial, either colonial or, or 1800s. Um, um, so 17 or 1800s. Um, we've worked on a couple um, more towards Philadelphia that were even 1600s. Um, so I, I view our job as helping the stewards of the buildings, the, the property owners to, to preserve and maintain them so that they continue to be, be here for future generations. Um, so that's, that's what I really view our, our role in the process. And if we can help tell the story of the property or, you know, th- those kind of things, I, I, I enjoy doing that also, but, but I, I view our role as more of a, of a, of a helping and supportive role, um, to the, to the property owners. Right. Yeah, that's great. And, we've and had in our little town, uh, what were you going to say? I can say we've. We've had in Wabash a group of capitalists come forward and preserve a chunk of the buildings downtown mm-hmm. that are very, you know, surprisingly historical for a little burg like that. And then there have been other other buildings that no one got to and that have since disappeared. Yeah. And people still speak about those buildings. And in one case, in one, one case, it was a hotel or a, an inn on the railway. So everything in that building and all of its stories are gone. You right. know, the carvings that would have been in the walls, 
the marks in the floors where different features from the life of that building would have been and all of it having now disappeared and it yeah. it makes it easy for me to appreciate what you guys do yeah. no and 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 that usually losing an important building to a community is what kind of is the catalyst for you know some kind of organization to become to to work to preserve buildings or to um, encourage people to uh, even put um, ordinances in place that at least require demolition to be to be um, reviewed before a building's demolished because if people can just knock down any building you know they're we can lose pretty significant buildings um, if, if, if there's not a review process at least in place. And then you get into the, you know, people say, well, I, I'm, a, I'm a private property owner and you get into that whole debate too. But I also, and this is, this is, this is all my opinion. <laughs> I also think that when, when you are, when you, when you purchase an older building, you purchase, you, you have responsibility and, 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 you, and that I, the stewardship, um, the stewardship theme to that is what I always go back to is that you are a steward of that building. That building has been here for several hundred years. You're only going to have it for a short period of time. And then it, somebody else is going to take over, over, overseeing that, the care of that building. And, and, you know, the changes that you make are, are going to impact the future of that building. And I think that that's a very important, I don't think everybody looks at buying a, a historic building that way, but that's that's what I would hope that people would how they would how they would view it as as that they are they are just going to be a steward for a short period of time and then it's going to go on to somebody else. That's a great angle on that, the whole idea of stewardship. Sure. I really and, like that. Yeah, yeah. Because they are, I mean, they they are, yeah, they are mo most of them are private property but they also contribute to the character of the community and the way the downtown looks. And, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a, there's multiple stakeholders. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> nice, nice. Um, <clears throat> what challenges do you see when you're, when you're working on your stories or, or the, the, when you're, when you're, when you're uncovering, uncovering the stories, what challenges do you encounter? That depends on the story we're telling, but very often our resources may be limited to 140 year old newspaper accounts, right. which we're fortunate to have access to, but priorities were different then. Journalistic integrity meant something different then. Speculation made its way into some of these accounts in ways that would be that would flunk you right out of uh, a journalistic degree right. today. Yeah. Uh, it's, we, we often, so one of our, one of our other brands is called Rotten to the Core. Shane's brother, Josh Waters hosts and writes for it. And, and he'll often deal with people from a more psychological angle. Mm. And it's difficult to answer the questions we have today about the way people thought then, because mm -hmm. no one was asking those things then. People were mad or they were, they were insane right. or uh, possessed by this or that's, you know, they, they had a, a problem with the humors or some. Right, you, yeah. Yeah, you have to look up you, what that meant. <laughs> You know all the yeah. tropes, yeah. So we're wondering, 
our questions can be very different and the evidence from back then can be insufficient for what we're trying to do. But that doesn't touch hometown history as much because the lessons or the takeaways we look for are a little different. Mm -hmm. I think part of the challenge is just in a weekly podcast like that, staying on your toes and keeping it fresh and interesting. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, I can give you what, uh, another example of something we turned in a different direction. Sure. Uh, an architect in Indianapolis rotated a building 90 degrees on rollers back in the 30s. And it's this really incredible architectural feat. As I looked into this, someone sent it in. As I looked into it, I realized that uh, I'm blanking on his first name right now, but it's Kurt Vonnegut's dad, who is the favorite literary son of, of Indianapolis and the state of Indiana. In some ways, he represents the Midwest. But our takeaway for that was... You know, we can think that our careers define us and that these marvelous technical professional achievements that we break ourselves for are going to be the things that people remember. But we're actually remembered, uh, Vonnegut Sr. is actually remembered just for not being a good dad because oh. Kurt told everyone he wasn't. So oh, yeah. our relationships are ultimately more important. I mean, and, and in this case, it's it's really an unusual one because his son ends up being this very funny, uh, somewhat confessional writer who who disguises his own family structures and and members in different characters. But everyone knows Vonnegut Senior as sort of a passive, sleepy, detached um, figure, and no one no one knows about the building. And and it, there there really is a good takeaway in that and in just in the fact that the people who will tell our stories when we're gone are not are not people who read newspapers it's our kids it's our brothers it's the people who actually loved us during this life right and so it's so easy to forget that and we don't really need a psychological profile for that takeaway mm -hmm. we can step back and and make connections not knowing more than the bare facts that have been made available to the public, just based on the kinds of stories and kinds of takeaways we want to frame. Um, so, and, and th there are challenges, but there's usually for this podcast, especially a pretty pragmatic way to meet them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that that, um, that's a, that's a good story because yeah, it is true that the, most people don't have a lot, you, their lives aren't documented in the way that, you know, someone, someone famous is. And so you do, you have the people who knew you retelling those stories and then that's kind of your legacy. <laughs> and, and you hope that you hope that you hope that it's a good one. Um, there was something I was thinking about when you were talking about moving, moving the building, but I, I lost it. So um, there's a video oh, of it. It's actually quite yeah, cool. Yeah, but it, yeah. the fact remains that, that the things that we're most impressed with about ourselves are never really that impressive. Right. Yeah. You know, no, there's I, always I, I, someone that's that building got torn down 20 years later. As oh, magnificent okay. as it was. Yeah. And oh, were they, another, and, I, and I'm just kind of curious, were they rotating it because the street changed? Like, is that what the reason was? It may have been. Okay. I, I need to go back and confirm yeah, I was, it. I was just yeah, curious. You, yeah. <laughs> Why you would just need to but, go, you know, just do that turn. Yeah. That's interesting. Oh, goodness. Um, 
So is there anything as we were, as we were talking that you wanted to share or talk about that maybe I didn't think to ask you? No, I think this okay. has been great. I, yeah. you know, I, I'd, I'd like to stick to that same principle here of just saying things or addressing things that you may already have interest in. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I wouldn't want to take you on a rabbit trail into my own pet interests here. So if you have any more questions, I'm, no, I'm happy No, I, to, I do. I do. I always ask that though, before we kind of do the wrap up questions, just in sure, case, because yeah. I know sometimes as we're talking, things pop up in the, things pop up into my brain. So, <laughs> um, so where can, where can our listeners uh, listen to hometown history? Uh, anywhere they've, uh, the, uh, anywhere okay. there are podcasts. Okay. Yeah. Very good. And um, how could someone uh, support your work? Uh, well, first by listening and reaching out with suggestions. And ultimately, we're looking to set up um, a number of our brands always, uh, uh, or at least recently have had Patreon up and running. Hometown History, you know, I should, I should confirm this with Shane, but I believe it is up, but it's not something that we've pushed. Yeah, so I, I, I saw it. On, I did see it on the site when I was prepping. Okay, so maybe you can do me a favor and edit that part out, sorry. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, so with with Patreon, I I do know that in the coming months, we are going to be releasing Patreon-specific content that we've called in other brands, Black Label content. And so as we roll that out, uh, if if you wanna join and get those extra episodes, I know there will be some for the Upper Peninsula in which we had a really good time. We interviewed some guides and and locals up there and some features that will only be available to to Patreon members. But, you know, we're just happy when people listen, they interact with us and partner with us in developing the next series. Because, again, this is a conversation for us. We're not coming to this thing with our pockets full of stuff that we just want to unload on people. Right. Yeah. We want to stay in touch and stay in the moment and be responsive. So if they'll do that with us, that's, that's plenty in itself. Okay. Very good. Well, um, how can our uh, listeners contact you? Would they go to the website or? Sure. They can go to it's arclightmedia.com. They can contact me at Nick. It's arclightmedia dot com uh, at it's arclightmedia.com and they can reach out to our other uh, we have uh, full-time engineers we have uh, multiple hosts so I'd encourage them to reach out to all of them as well and one thing I'm, I, I might like to do is just list the rest of our brands here oh, sure, definitely. we're all really excited to be partnering with uh, in the true crime genre we have foul play which was one of the first three or four true crime podcasts ever uh, dating back to, I believe, 2014. And we're now introducing next month, Fall Play UK that will be hosted by Wendy C, a longtime friend and partner of Shane's. We also have a hometown history Europe beginning next month with another friend of ours, Peter Laws. I think he lives an hour and a half North of London, but fantastic storyteller has done a lot of stuff in the horror genre, but just a really engaging uh, um, 
person and, and quality developer. Uh, Obscura is another true crime podcast. Uh, we also have Rotten to the Core, Asian Madness, Frightful, Ominous, and Everyday Paranormal, which is as of, uh, which will be uh, next month, uh, renamed The Investigators. Oh my goodness, you, you I, guys are busy. <laughs> you know, I'm just wanting to, I just ripped through those pretty, I believe the whole uh, roster, um, but I wouldn't want to leave anybody out. No, we've, we've, no, we've grown fast. Yeah. We're, we're I'm trying to get this up here. I think when I'm on Zoom, my computer is just about. Yeah. Yeah. So that's. Uh, okay. Well, thank you. That's thank the you roster so, much. so far. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. I, I appreciate it. I, I feel like I, I've learned, I've learned some things from you and, and I, I hope that, that you felt like this was time well spent. It was. Yeah. Thank you. I had fun. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Practical Preservation Podcast. The resources discussed during this episode are on our website at practicalpreservationservices.com forward slash podcast. If you received value from this episode and know someone else that will get value from it as well, please share it with them. Join us next week for another episode of the Practical Preservation Podcast. For more information on restoring your historic home, visit practicalpreservationservices.com.